thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. And uh, again, it's a great opportunity for me to get to come back to 12th and um, love your staff here. Um, love how you partner with Christian Challenge. Uh, I think as I was talking a minute ago and I told you we had rebranded, I was pointing at my shirt but didn't really say what we'd rebranded to. So if you can't read that from where you're sitting out there, Church Forward is our rebrand for Kansas Nebraska Convention. Again, we are KNCSB still, but you'll hear Church Forward uh, promoted. We've changed our website to that because the church, again, is who we're focusing on. So this morning, as you know, if you've been around this summer, you guys have been doing the uh, Summer Psalm series. And so when Garen asked me to step in, uh, I asked Garen if anybody had, had or was doing a, a lament psalm, and he said, no, not that he knew of yet. And so I said, I would like the opportunity to do that. And so this morning, if you didn't know that we're doing a lament psalm, you may have come thinking, hey, it's going to be a great psalm of praise this morning and exciting and joyful, and now it's going to be a downer. I hope and pray, though, you'll see the value that's found in some of these lament psalms uh, that are found in that, that Hebrew Scripture text that's so valuable to us. In fact, uh, one-third to one-half of all of the psalms are psalms of lament. So we're going to talk about some of that. We're going to look at Psalm 13. I, I've intentionally asked our tech guys not to put the text up there. If you, you can follow on if you have your Bible. But if you don't, or even if you do, I would encourage you just to listen to this text reflectively Instead of if just reading it on the screen, listen as I read Psalm 13. It's not very long, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to break that down some too. Psalm 13 says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. We're going to keep looking at that text a little bit in depth, but uh, just a little bit of background on some of this understanding of lament. Lament is that passionate expression of grief or despair or, or hopelessness or even anger. And Psalm 13 is a psalm written by David, and we don't know the circumstances of why he wrote this particular psalm or what surrounds that. That's unknown to us, but we do know David's life. And we do know some of those stories, some of that history of David with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, her husband, and, and him having him on the front line so he'd be killed, and those kind of things that, that were lamentable times for David. So we don't know all the circumstances. David never specifically identifies his opponents in this psalm, but what David does do, in, or including this psalm, is that honest cry of despair and hopelessness. We know that God said that David's a man after his own heart. And yet David in this circumstance, in this psalm, is crying out to God in despair and hopelessness. We sometimes, as Christ followers, as a church, 
We sometimes ask similar questions like David is answering, why God, or, or where are you, God, kind of questions, but we often ask those questions under our breath, afraid to actually voice them out loud. In fact, we thought maybe to publicly question God in this way has been considered in the least irreverent and maybe in the worst even blasphemous. How can we question God? Yet Jesus, who certainly was without sin and was not blasphemous, from the cross quoted a psalm of lament, Psalm 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus, without sin, can ask God why, then can't we too? I want to share a couple of personal stories. All of us have stories like this but I get to do it because I'm up here. A couple of personal stories about my own life and some of those lamentable times for my family when I was growing up. I grew up, I grew up as an older sister and a younger brother, two years apart. My, my younger brother, my mom and dad were young parents, and they had my sister and then me and then my younger brother uh, two years behind me. And a couple of months or a few months after he was born, my brother uh, developed encephalitis and had permanent brain injury because of that. So my brother, Chuck, was never able to walk or talk. In fact, uh, the physicians indicated that, that Chuck probably wouldn't live beyond the age of five, and Chuck ended up li- living to the age of seven. So my young parents had to bury their seven-year-old child uh, as those very young parents. Lamentable time in their life. My mom and dad were Christ followers, but they were asking why during that time. Let me fast forward about 50 years, and my dad, who was uh, retired early and he was an active golfer, was out playing golf one day, got bit by a mosquito and contracted West Nile virus. My dad uh, recovered uh, mentally, emotionally, uh, but he was never able to recover physically. And so the last 15 years of my dad's life, he died at the age of 89. The last 15 years of his life, he was in a powered wheelchair for those last 15 years. So those were a couple of lamentable things for my mother and dad that, that spanned generations throughout that. And they may have been asking questions like this. Were we unworthy? Did God not trust us? I asked the question, had my mom and dad been faithful in their service to him? Or was there something they had or hadn't done that caused them to deserve what was going on in their lives? When we too walk through seasons Like that, it often feels like we're walking through that darkness alone. How quickly, during those seasons, we we blame God for our grief and pain. Why would God allow this darkness and pain and sorrow and suffering? I thought he was a loving God. If he's such a loving God, then why is there pain and suffering in the world? And those questions and assertions... That, that David outlines in Psalm 13 are not really indicative of the character and the presence of God that's been so evident in other areas of our lives. How quickly we too forget that that Lord so intimately uh, acquainted with grief is big enough then to handle our grief too. We ask questions like, if God is all-powerful and loving then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Or we ask questions like, when, when life is hard, where is God? 
Or why does God, this is the, the one that people usually ask if they're asking you about, about uh, especially as a believer, they ask the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I'm sure you've had that question before. If God is loving, then why doesn't he stop the suffering? If suffering and pain continues and God doesn't step in or intervene, like for my parents with their child, and eliminate that pain and suffering, then is God really as loving as the Bible says he is? Can we too ask questions like that out loud? God, where were you when I was abused? Where are you, God, in the death and destruction of earthquakes and the war in Ukraine and hurricanes and flooding? Where's God when my family breaks up? Where's God when my mother or father or brother or sister died too young? Where's God when my girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with me? Why did my dad get cancer or why did my child get cancer? Here's the reality. Sometimes bad things happen. Understanding this should cause us to turn toward God instead of away from Him. That's what David was doing. Don't miss this. But because bad things do happen, we also have to realize that in all that season of those bad things happening, God is still good. God is still and always good. We wrestle with that, and the problem is when we wrestle with these, these dark nights of the soul, we realize that pain is fertile ground for that doubt to grow. When bad things happen, God is still good. In fact, in some of those cases, He is the only one that is good, or the only thing that is good in some of those cases. We are all going to pay, face pain and suffering and sorrow in our lives. And if, if we haven't yet, you will. And if you have already, you will again. We're all going to face that in our lives. But God is with us in those trials. And sometimes He's with us as healer. But also sometimes He's with us as comforter. Because sometimes He doesn't always heal. But again, He's always good. And he's always there as comforter. God always walks with us in that valley of the shadow of death, but he never promises to walk us out of that valley of the shadow of death. He just promises to be with us in that. So honestly, lamenting those circumstances or questioning God or doubting his intentions and verbalizing those hurts out loud can actually draw us closer to a God, again, who understands those things. But we also remember that sometimes that pain seems to yell when that hope is only a whisper. The misconception, too, that that those who follow Christ no longer struggle and no longer grieve and no longer question has been perpetuated through our sermons and songs. And thank you, worship team, this morning for reminding us how important sometimes the, the text of our songs and even the tune of our songs are to this understanding of lament. In fact, some of the poetry of our, of our hymn texts and songs actually can contribute to pain and sorrow and suffering. An example, and some of you may not remember this old hymn, but there's an old hymn, Have Faith in God, 
And, and the, the, te- the text and tune don't seem to fit up there. In fact, I'm going to sing it a little bit up for you. That, that, that tune doesn't seem to fit with that text. The text seems lamentable or lamenting, but the tune doesn't. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon him and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Doesn't fit. Well, that text is lament text, but the tune isn't. And so sometimes we, we try to fit those texts in, but then we have to sing a, a catchy or a happy tunes. And songs such as these leave the impression that having doubts and being in despair will be erased if we just think happy songs or sing those texts with happy tunes. But Felicia Thomas said, if our worship is truly authentic, it must reflect authentic life. Like David in Psalm 13, in that lament psalm, he reminds us that if, if, authenticity, if authenticity is the goal of our worship, we need to be willing to honestly admit that events and circumstances such as some of these we've mentioned this morning that occur in our lives can contribute to that hopelessness and cause us to cry out to God in despair and even in anger demand vengeance of God. Authenticity also includes openly admitting that these events can shake our faith. When we're willing to openly admit that, then healing and hope begins there. And if you've been through grief, you know that grief is not something that can be turned off and on just by singing happy songs or thinking thinking happy thoughts. And yet sometimes in our church culture, We've communicated in our worship actions, not you this morning, but sometimes in our church culture, we communicate our wor- through our worship actions that either uh, you shouldn't feel that way at all, or at least you shouldn't feel that way when we gather here. What better place than the body of Christ, that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us to express some of those thoughts and feelings? The consequence then is that that people gather in this place to worship and they look around and they assume because of our, our worship is, must always appear happy that when they don't feel that way, that this is probably not the place for them. Our church culture is often more comfortable with the comforting, not with the disturbing part of worship. And yet that disturbing part that David talks about in the psalm is real life. So that language of of lament is not the repression of praise. It's not in opposition to praise and joy, but it's the divine process through which that praise springs forth. So when disaster threatens to consume us, the psalmist, like David, gives us words. We don't even have that language. Those psalms can give that language to us. So let's look back at at Psalm 13. There's a pattern found in Psalm 13 that's that's available in many of those, not all of them, but many of those lament psalms. There's a pattern found in that text, and I'm going to lay out that pattern for you so you see how these lament songs, uh, psalms are, are laid out to help us walk through those. So the structure of that lament in the first part of that is found in verse 1, Psalm 13, verse 1. When David said, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? And so the first part of that structure is the address. A biblical lament lament is actually addressing God. It is crying out to God. It's not just crying out in anger and despair and hopelessness. It's crying out, understanding that there's a God who is listening and knows that. What more of an act of worship could that be? And knowing that there's a God who, the, who, who trusts, you can trust and trust you, and you can speak out and cry out in anger toward Him. You are addressing Him. So a biblical lament cries out to God. Sally Brown and, and Patrick Miller have written pretty, written, uh, pretty extensively in this area of lament. And they said this, Psalms of lament allow us to cry out through the despair of grief and the realization that there is nothing about the reality of the world or ourselves that cannot be brought before God. So in this address to God, we are crying out to an omnipotent God, a, a good and merciful God, a just God, and a God who grants us access to himself and invites us into that personal relationship with him. A God who is, again, intimately acquainted with grief. A God who gave his only son so that we could have this relationship like that with him. Lament is that healthy, open expression of that pain and complaint and sorrow and suffering and anger. In fact, some of those psalms of lament, if you, if you dig deeply in there, the psalmist who is writing that is actually cursing at God. And God's big enough to handle that. The second part of that that structure of lament, we have the first that's the address. The second is the complaint. A lament honestly and specifically names a situation. It doesn't just cry out to God, but it's actually naming a situation or a circumstance that's painful, that's wrong, or maybe unjust. In other words, it's a, it's a circumstance that does not align with God's character. It doesn't seem to align with God's character. And therefore, it, it does not make sense within God's kingdom. So we're, we're actually naming what that is to God as we're crying out to Him. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. David, the psalmist, names those things that he's struggling with. Those enemies, we don't know all the specifics, but we know that that somebody is coming after him. And he has no control of that, so he, he leaves that to God, and he's crying out to God. So lament allows this culture in which we live that previously conditioned ourselves to avoid that public expression of anger. It gives us permission to cry out to God without fear of reprisal. Michael Jenkins reminds us that when we refuse to lament, we effectively deny the faithfulness of God and we hide our naked, live, uh, naked lives from God's grace and gaze. The third thing is this. third part of that structure is the request. So we got the address, we have the, the complaint, then we have the request. So a, a lament expects a response. We see in Psalm 13, 
It expects, expects an answer from God. It's not just crying out to Him. and It expects some kind of response from Him. It expects that God will be able to do something about the situation. Now, sometimes if you read through these lament psalms, and this is true of Psalm 13, maybe not as heavily in Psalm 13, but it seems like in some of the lament psalms that the psalmist is actually demanding something from God. Not just asking, God, could you please do this, but actually demanding of God. It's actually the psalmist's essential heart-rending cry, God, do something. God, I can't do this on my own. Only you can do this. Do something. Now, those of you who are parents, your children have cried out to you in a similar way. Remember those times when your kids were frightened and they, something had, had scared them. They were, they were frightened and, and they cried out to you, Mommy, Daddy, help me. This is this understanding of this crying out to God and expecting a response. And it was not a demand from your kids. It was a cry of desperation that in that moment your child could not do it on his or her own and knew as a profound act of trust toward you that you as mom or dad were the only ones that could get them out of this situation. So they're crying out in desperation and it can seem like a demand, but it's a cry of desperation that in that moment you as a parent are the only ones that could help them. We can cry out to God in the same way. God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I trust you. These things are ruining my life and my family. I have no hope. God, where are you? God, help me. Verse 3 says, Consider me an answer, Lord my God, and restore brightness to my eyes. It sounds a little demanding. It's actually just, Father, help me. And that's a request of desperation, but it's also an act of worship. The fourth and final is this. We've had the address and the complaint in Psalm 13, and then the request, and then we come to that expression of thanksgiving and trust. Lament generally includes, there are some cases where it doesn't, but it's, here's my, my understanding and belief of some of those lament psalms that are called imprecatory psalms, or those that don't resolve to this, this side of, of thanksgiving, is sometimes the psalmist has not gotten there yet. And so in many of these psalms, and this is true of Psalm 13, there's an expression of thanksgiving and trust at the end of that psalm. They're not always included, but it's that, that, that expression of trust, and it's sometimes it's woven uh, through the complaint and the request, and at other times it concludes that psalm with almost a, a jarring note of praise on the backside. So it goes to this crying out to God, 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 where are you? Why aren't you showing up? And then it lands on, thanks God, I trust in you. I want to talk about that in just a second, but let me read verses 5 and 6 again, because that's that. It seems almost jarring sometimes, but, but listen to verse 5 and 6, because he's just been crying out to God, and my enemy's going to say, I've triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I'm shaken. Then verse 5, but I have trusted in your faithful love. 
My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. This seems like a sharp divide from him crying out to God, and now he's saying to God, but I trust in you. But to understand biblical lament properly, we must acknowledge that the expression of trust in these lament psalms, with all its praise and joy, is actually part of that lament. They're not two separate things. It's not lament and then, but God, and I I trust you, God. It's all part of the same language. The turning point in Psalm 13 is just the word, but. He's been crying out to God, and then he says, but I trust in you. But I have trusted. Some some lament psalms may may take that turn with, uh, but God, or but thou, O Lord. Sometimes that language is used in those lament psalms. But here's the key point of this understanding. Biblical lament begins and ends with God. It begins in crying out to God and ends then in trusting and thanking and praising God because he knows better than we do what we need. Biblical lament, it's an honest cry to God who is powerful and good and just. It's a cry that expects an answer from God and therefore results in hope and trust and joy rather than despair. Now, here's something I don't want you to miss about this last part of that but God part or the I trust in you part. And this is where I was going to talk about the Psalms that don't actually resolve at that place. What we don't know from this Psalm and other Psalms, lament Psalms like this, is how long it took the psalmist to get from God, where are you, to but I trust in you. We read it as if it's just immediate, It could have been years. We don't don't know that story of what caused that in David's life and how he's able to come to... When when it was recorded, it it was written down literally. But we don't know how long it took to get to that place. So it's possible that some of the psalmists, as they're writing those lament psalms, haven't gotten there yet as they're writing those down. There's a tendency for those of us who are not going through a grieving process or a dark time to have the attitude... Uh, that others just need to pull themselves together and get over it. That if they would just pray more and read God's Word more, it would be a, a quicker process. And However, that, that timeline is not a formula. It's usually those of us who have never been through that kind of season that want to rush it. Experts have named and numbered the steps of grieving process anywhere between five and 12 steps. But again, those are not step one to step two to step three. Um, Sometimes you skip around those steps. That's the value of understanding a lament in our public worship. It gives assurance to those who are struggling that though we may not understand completely what you are going through, those of us that are not going through that, though we may not understand completely what you're going through, We as a church support you, walk through that with you, as that great cloud of witnesses that surround you. And sometimes those of us that are going through seasons like that, uh, this is exactly the place you need to be. And we as a congregation need to surround those people. And sometimes when they can't even sing those song texts because they seem like they don't see even God in that, then we need to sing those song texts for them and surround them as that great cloud of witnesses. 
as a church, we will only achieve our best when we're willing together to offer God our worst. All people, good and bad, are going to suffer at some time in their life, including you. Let me close with just a couple of thoughts. I read a church newsletter recently. It was talking about this particular topic, and I, I, I would give, give credit, but I don't remember where it came from. But here's the text that it says. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. And suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it, our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve His purposes. But sometimes through suffering, His purposes are achieved. Suffering like this, like the psalmist David spoke about and wrote about, can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our lives. Let me come back to the story of my dad and brother. My dad, a godly man, they, my mom and dad, as I mentioned, were, were Christ followers and they, when they lost my brother. They grieved that all their lives. Yeah, I'm sure there were times, there were seasons where they came back to that and said, I, we don't understand why, God, but we trust in you. My dad, when he contracted West Nile virus, the last 15 years of his life, he was in constant pain because of the neuropathy of those nerve endings because of the West Nile virus. And there were times in his life, those last 15 years, that he was crying out to God and wondering and asking God why. And, but, but often my dad, because of his faith, would always come back to the, but, but I trust in you, God. See, my dad's faith gave him that strength for today, but it also gave him that bright hope for tomorrow. That eternity, that place we did no longer have pain or sorrow or suffering. And it wasn't going to happen here on earth, but he knew at some point it actually would. And so my dad had that, that great uh, faith that helped him get through the pain of each day. But he had hope for tomorrow there'd be a time when he'd no longer have that pain or sorrow or suffering. And one of my dad's hopes and prayers was that when he actually got to that place where he had no pain or sorrow or suffering anymore, that he would then be able to run with my brother who had never walked before. See, this understanding of meant uh, faith like my dad's gave him that strength that was only from God. He couldn't generate that up himself. So at its very heart, a lament psalm like Psalm 13 that allows us to cry out to God in anger and pain and sorrow is an expression of trust in the character and power and the previous actions of God. It's an expression of trust that, that looks beyond our current circumstances to what ultimately will be. Remember, too, as I close, that the world often stinks. We've got to just admit that. Sometimes the world just stinks. But God is always good. God is always good. He is a God who is big enough and good enough.
to handle our anger and pain, sorrow, suffering, hopelessness. He can handle it. So cry out to him, and he'll hear your voice. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the hope. Because there are times, and I, I, in a, a group this large this morning, I can imagine there's some hopelessness. I pray that your word has spoken to their heart this morning, that they can indeed cry out to you openly, and you are big enough to handle that. It's not going to threaten their relationship with you. You expect that from us. You already know that we feel those feelings and have those thoughts. So encourage us to actually voice them out loud to you. We do trust you, God. And sometimes we don't know why things happen. And we ask you why, and we ask when you're going to show up, and we trust that you know better than we do what the right response and right answer is. But sometimes um, it's hard. Continue to remind us, God, today that you are always good. No matter what we face in our lives, you are always good. Thank you for our time together this morning, God. And I pray as we leave this place that we'll leave ready to take on the world this week in knowing that you're walking with us no matter what we're facing. We pray this in your name. Amen. Stand together, if you will. Uh, as is your tradition, uh, you have a responsibility as Christ followers to go out into the world. Our worship doesn't stop here. It continues out there. So 12th Avenue, you are sent. Thank you. God bless you.